The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Good morning. Happy Easter. It is good to be with you today and celebrate and dive into what is the greatest weekend in the universe. So today, let's look at the very core of Easter and why Easter happened. If you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, or if you have an app, you can take that and go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 9, and in honor of King Jesus, who is alive and well in the heavenly places, with blood still pumping through his body, these words come to us in the same authority, and the same power, and in the exact same spirit as though King Jesus were right here among us, speaking right at us, speaking right to us, and speaking right for us. So in honor of King Jesus, let's stand together and read what the Holy Spirit says through our brother, the Apostle Paul, who is now in glory with Christ. And here's what the Spirit says, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, now we pray to you, not as some kind of just religious cloud and figure and just kind of feeling aura that we pray to. We pray to you as the living man of Nazareth, the son of God, very God of very God, true light of true light, one with the Father, one with the Spirit. We pray to you as our great God and Savior. And now, Lord, Now, would you meet us here as we look at your word, and would the joy of Easter invade hearts? Would the power of the resurrection change us and give us a hope that is everlasting and then some? So now, Lord, come, and in your mighty, magnificent, resurrected name do we pray, amen. When we consider the death of Jesus, I mean, and I mean the actual death of Jesus, Not a fainting, not a hocus-pocus act, but the very Son of God, who is fully God himself, creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, as Hebrews says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's not some kind of cheap street vendor knockoff of divinity. He is fully God, full strength, omni-awesome God. He took on a body. He took on veins and vessels and blood, and he lived on this earth for us to die in our place for our sins, to save us and rise again from the dead. This is the heart of Christianity. This is what Christianity really is all about. Guys, I want to be so clear that Christianity is not primarily about the teachings of Jesus. 
And isn't that the prevailing thought of Christianity? Oh yeah, Jesus said good things. And that is true. Jesus did say great and glorious things. But the first and foremost aspect, the most important reality, the central truth of Christianity is not all the things that Jesus said. It's the thing that Jesus did. And it's who Jesus is. The teachings of Jesus are way important, but they mean nothing if Jesus is a pile of bone dust. But since he is not, all of this matters. Christianity is first and foremost about the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the no longer deadness of Jesus for sinners like us. Christianity is not for the cultural elite. Christianity is not for the hoity-toity people of the first century or the 21st century. Christianity isn't a white people thing either. (laughs) It's sprung up from the Middle East. This passage shows us clearly who Christianity, who Easter, who God, who Christ, who the gospel, who it is for. It's in verses 1 to 3. This is who Christianity is for. Not good people. Not people who got it all together. You often hear people say, oh, religion, oh, Christianity, that is such a crutch. That is just a crutch for people. You know, listen, I don't think it's a crutch. I think it's way more than that. I think it is oxygen. I think it is the paddles, the defibrillator, and the emergency room, and the bit being placed on a corpse, and us being resurrected from the dead with Christ. So who is Christianity for? Look at verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, we have to understand first about verse 1 is Paul is writing to a group of Christians and the church at Ephesus, and he's telling them, let's remember who you were, who you were before Jesus saved you. So if you're a Christian, what we've just read and what we're going to dive into in this little bit is who you are and were outside of Christ. This is your spiritual resume, B.C. Now, if you aren't a Christian today and you think, I'm not really Christian, I'm I'm kind of interested, listen, I just want to be straight up and, and honest with you from God's word. When we read this part, the Bible's saying, this is who you are, right? right now. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, which you walk. And you might think, well, that's kind of offensive. <laughs> I, I was coming for a pick-me-up. This is not a good start, preacher guy. Um, <laughs> this is baloney. And it, look, listen, I, I get that. I, I really do. But, but just think for a second. Just bear with me for a second for a couple of reasons why, why this matters. If Jesus is alive, not some Tupac hologram, not not some ghost or just ethereal force, but flesh and blood, alive. And he's been alive for 2,000 years. It'd be one thing if he came alive and like hung around for a couple days, but he's alive for 2,000 years now. This is Christianity. So if that's true, then these words in Ephesians, they matter. It isn't, well, I don't know if I like that. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. If Jesus is alive, then, then all of a sudden this has a much greater importance. The, the relevancy of these words now have to weigh on your life if Jesus really is alive. If he's not alive, who cares? This is just all a waste of time, and let's just, let's just go party. Let's just get out of here. But Jesus is alive, and these words matter for this very hour, for your life and mine. Paul says, outside of Jesus, before salvation, we are spiritually dead people. We have no inclination to follow God. We have no spiritual pulse. We are a spiritual corpse. And when he says in the next phrase, and your trespasses and sins, that's like a very Bible-y, church-y word. We don't talk that way. So, but we know what trespassing is. 
He's saying trespasses and sins to kind of convey the same idea. You know what a trespass is. You, you have walked on a place you're not supposed to walk. You are somewhere you are not supposed to be. You have gotten out of a boundary where you're not supposed to be. This is what sin is. We've got out of line. It's a, it's a false step against God's ways, against God's word. And we all sin. We read this passage again and again and again. Among whom, verse three, among whom we all once lived. At the end of verse three, like the rest of mankind, we all do this. We're all this way. We all sin, everyone. Lying, stealing, pride, envy, lust, anger, just in our thoughts, gluttony, unloving attitudes. We're all, we're all, we're all in this together. And look what he says next. He describes it even more. Following the course of this world, verse 2. Meaning we all just kind of bob along with the current and the tides of the waves of the world. We don't divert from that. We're, we're just born and we just go that way. And look what he says next. It's even more alarming. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's a first century way, an early Christianity way, to describe Satan and the satanic powers. It's the prince of the air, not the earth, just, just the air. And there's spirits that whirl about in the air tempting us. So what God is saying is we just do what the world does and we just follow the ways of the satanic powers. Whatever they tempt us with, we just go with. Now you hear that and you're thinking, yeah, right. I don't, I didn't follow Satan. Listen, this verse isn't saying that we're all, we all emerged like last night. I don't believe anyone was in a lair with hoods and cat corpses and pentagrams before they came here. (laughs) That's not what this verse is, is teaching. He's describing it more in verse three, following the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and and the mind. So what he's saying is we were just following our cravings. We wanted it. Doesn't matter. I'll take it. I don't care what God says. I don't care what God wants. I want that. I want to look at it. I want to feel that. I want to experience that. I want to drink that. I want to receive that. Me, me, me. This is just a way of saying we called the shots in our lives. We didn't listen to God. We didn't care what God had to say. We were just Burger King in it. Just have it your way. It doesn't matter. Just like what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, it doesn't matter what God says about that tree. You take it. Have it your way. Have it. Enjoy it. And we know they fell into sin. And now here we are, dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were by nature, and look at the next phrase, we were by nature children of wrath, verse 3. So this thing about the phrase by nature. If that's true, by nature, this means it wasn't one thing that you did that got you in this situation. It wasn't like this, that one sin. I mean, you were good, but then you committed that one sin in college. Now you're in big trouble. That, that, it was by our nature. We came out of this way. We came into this world hardwired into sin. Everyone. What we're learning by this word, by nature, we, we aren't sinners because we sinned. We sin because we're sinners. And this has us under God's judgment, under his wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. We sit under the wrath of God. His justice to pay for our sins. Verses one through three isn't pointing the finger saying, look at how bad you are. Look at how sinful you are. Look at how disgusting you are. No, it's just saying, this is more of a mirror. This is who we are outside of Jesus. What I love about the Bible is the Bible's not, the Bible doesn't play around. The Bible's not giving a Pollyanna view of humanity, that we're all pretty good people. Most of us are nice people. Most of us are nice people. Especially after coffee, most of us are nice people. But we're spiritually dead. 
We're nice, dead people outside of Christ. So what, what, here's what the Bible's doing right here in verses one to three. God is leveling your pride and mine. God is leveling any sense of man-made DIY morality and self-righteousness. And he is showing you and me, we need divine help. We need divine help in our life because we all want life to work and it's not working. We, we need divine help. And I want divine help in my life. And, and I'm betting a little bit that you're open to divine help because you're here. This is who Christianity is for. Not the people who got it all together. It's the people who are living the reality of verses one to three. This is who Christianity is for. This is who God is for. This is who Jesus is for. This is who the gospel is for. This is who Easter is for. And now I love verse four. Oh, I love verse four. It crashes into the picture. It's the best turn of phrase ever written. And if a paragraph could ever pop a wheelie, this is it. But... God. Oh, it's glorious. We were dead in our sins. We were children of wrath. We were headed for destruction, but God. There's nothing good in us. We've dug in our heels in our pursuit of our own way, but God. But God says, I'm coming in and I'm bringing heaven with me. Nothing's going to stop what I'm about to accomplish. This is the cross of Christ, but God. We're sinful people, but God. We deserve hell, but God. Paul wants to draw our attention to God. And knowing who God is, is the key, not just to understanding today, not just understanding Good Friday, but is the key to understanding life in this off-kilter world. Is the key to understanding eternity, understanding the universe. This is what Christianity is. There's a lot of ideas of what Christianity is. Verses four through nine, this is what Christianity is. Look at verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. At the heart of Christianity, guys, at the foundation of Jesus' cross and Jesus' empty tomb, there, it's not Jerusalem soil. That The foundation of it is a God who is rich in mercy. This is why it all happened. This is why, you, this is why the Bible exists. Because there's a God who is rich in mercy. And these six words, but God being rich in mercy. This is the undoing of verses one to three. This is the waylaying of sin. This is the discombobulating of all the satanic powers. And this is a newness of life from a God who is rich in mercy. And I love what the Bible says. Notice what the Bible says in verse four. But God, which is a complete contrast, complete turnaround from verses one to three, but God being rich in mercy. I just want to draw your attention to that word being and just learn two things from it. Being rich in mercy. One, if he's being rich in mercy, mercy is not an impulse God has. Mercy is not an impulse to God. It's the heart of God. It's part of his being, part of who God is. Mercy is not a come and go thing with God. That if you get God on a good day, okay, maybe he'll be merciful. You catch God on a bad day, no mercy. No, no, no. Mercy is not an impulse God has. Mercy is the very heart of God. Mercy and compassion towards sinners. This is what Christianity is. So then second thing, being rich in mercy, notice the Bible doesn't say, but God who was rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy right now. 
God is rich in mercy right now. It is still the posture of God's heart towards sinners. Right now, the second, God is rich in mercy. It's not out of stock, and he's rich in mercy for you. He's got an undepletable amount of radical mercy for us sinners because there's no end to the blood of Jesus. That blood is still coursing through his body. We aren't just saved by the blood that got mingled in the ground with that soil at Golgotha, the place of the skull. We are continually secured and saved by the blood of Jesus that is coursing through his body in the heavenly places. And he is rich in mercy. The Bible, it could have just said God who has a lot of mercy are the merciful God. But no, he wants to communicate to you, I am rich in mercy and I am a big spender in it. I don't, I'm not stingy. I don't hem it in. I want to unlavish it and unleash it on you. So if God is rich in mercy, it means that there is no sin, no quantity of sin, no particular sin that won't fit on Jesus's cross. There's no amount of sin you can commit, no style of sin, no brand of sin that you write that check and that God's merciful hand cannot grab and pay in full by the perfect life and death of Jesus. I mean, think about your life. You have a birth certificate and we all know it's coming. You have a death certificate. So within that time period, there is a finite amount of sin you can commit during these two times. And we're all squeezing in a lot of it. We're all putting in hours and weekends and we're burning the midnight oil. We're sinning it up all the time. All of us. There's only so much sin we can commit in this life. But you think about Jesus. He came to this earth from heaven, eternal God, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, and then he rose again. So there is no end to Jesus. There is no end to his mercy. If Jesus would have died we'd be, and stayed dead, we'd be in big trouble. But since he died and rose again, all of our finite amount of sin can all be swallowed up into his infinite life for us. So no matter, no matter what you've dragged in today, no matter what you've hidden in your life year after year, maybe just for the past couple of weeks that you've hidden and you'd just be embarrassed to bring out, your life can be hidden with Christ in God and his cross and your sin can be left in that empty tomb where Jesus folded up his grave clothes and all your sins can be left behind. And no matter what, uh, 20 years from now, that sin you have no idea you're going to commit, Jesus says, mercy, grace. And when Satan brings up your past, what about this one? What about this one? You, you just hear rich in mercy, rich in mercy. And God wants to give it to you. God is ready to give it to you today if you'll receive it by faith, if you'll have it. I know God is willing to give it to you. You may not think so, but I know he is because two things. Number one, you're here. For some weird reason, you're here. God brought you here. Secondly, God's showing you from his word, I'm rich in mercy. Do you want it? God is not cruel. God is not saying, look, I'm rich in mercy, but you can't have it. He's saying, no, I'm rich in mercy. And I'm willing to give it to you if you want to receive it by faith. Christianity is the mercy of God. And next, Christianity is the great love of God. Look at verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy. Why did, why did Easter happen? Why Good Friday? Why Easter Sunday? Because. Because of the great love with which he loved us. And you skid into verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 
So why the cross? Why the empty tomb? Because of the great love with which he loved us. The great love of God is the catalyst for the crucifixion and resurrection. What drove Jesus to the cross was not an angry mob of Jews and and Romans. It was the massive love of God. Every whip that cracked across Jesus' back, it was the love of God that kept him going. Every iron spike that went through his hands and feet, what kept him going was the great love of God with which he loved us. And every second that he hung on that cross before everyone with his blood flowing mingled down, it was the great love of God that kept him going for you. And when Jesus breathed his final breath, it was carried to heaven put on a page and brought now into your heart by the great love of God. Verse five, even when we were dead. I I love the first word in verse five, even. That word doesn't have to be there for the sentence to be grammatically correct, but it has to be there for it to be gospelicious. Even, it's a stress point. Even, even when you were dead, God loved you. You didn't impress God. It wasn't anything that you worked up and God goes, man, I I really should save her. You were dead. So Easter Sunday, do you feel the love of God for you even while you were dead in your sins? He's calling us back to verses one through three. Even while that was true of you, God had great love for you. I don't know if you weren't here on Good Friday. I mean, Good Friday, I felt like it was one of the most special hours of my life. I felt the love of God for me. Amen, sister. I I sat there and I just felt like I feel so loved by God. And I pray that God would just grant that to you. It was just like a drop of heaven crashed into my heart. And I just thought, God, I just want that all the time. I just want to feel your great love for me all the time. It was like just just a spark of revival happened in my heart. And you ask God for that. I want to feel the great love of God for me. That while I was a yet sinner, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And notice the Bible doesn't say that God made us alive with Christ uh, even when he saw that we were kind of getting it together. That's what I expected to say. Because that's the way we operate. All right, I'll be kind to you because, yeah, you're, you're showing some progress. None of that's happening. Okay, I'll die for you. I'll love you because I see, you know, you're doing it. You're trying really hard. I'll meet you halfway. No. God's great love met us in our sin and our deadness that even while we were dead, he made us alive. The height of God's love met our lowest point and he made us alive. So we were dead, but now he made us alive. And I've heard people have asked me before, born again. Are you one of those born again Christians? That's the only kind, friend. There is no other. That's not like some retro vintage form of Christianity. That is Christianity. Easter is God calling us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Just like when Jesus was there, lifeless in that tomb. I mean, a corpse, a cold body, eyes shut, dead, dead, dead. And then the angels rolled back that stone. And then Jesus' brain kicked back on. His nervous system began to light back up and blood began to warm again through his body. And he walked out. So he's saying, I'm calling you to life. For if anyone is in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creation and the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. This is what Christianity is. It's God's mercy 
It's God's great love, and it's God uniting us and giving us mega blessings with Christ. A lot of times we think that Christianity is just okay. We, we have a negative one billion balance of spirituality. That's, you have nothing spiritually good in your bank account, negative one billion. And we go, and God, we think, God says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I see your negative one billion. I'm gonna deal with it. I'll pay it. I'm bringing you to zero. Now it's all up to you. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I see your negative billion balance. I'm bringing you to zero, and I, then I am adding infinite, immeasurable riches in Christ. I'm giving you all that my son is. Because look at what he says. Verse six, we've been made alive with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And look at this next thing. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What, where is Jesus? He is at the Father's right hand. So what is Jesus sitting on? He is sitting on a throne. And so what are we sitting on if we're seated with him? You're sitting on a throne, friends. You're a co-heir with Christ. All that belongs to Jesus, Jesus says, it all now belongs to you. You lack nothing. Neptune belongs to Jesus. It belongs to you. It's all yours in Christ because Christ is yours and you are Christ. And bundled with this phrase, raised with Christ. Paul is packing in all the great glories of Easter weekend. He's packing in Good Friday. He's packing in Awkward Silence Saturday. And he's packing in glorious Easter Sunday morning where he died and he took our sins upon himself. This is the gospel. He took all of our sins upon himself and he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He paid the price and we will never taste a drop of it. He gives us complete freedom and forgiveness for all of life. It's an amazing thing that in Christianity, no matter what sin happens in my life, with faith in Christ, I am forgiven of all of it. And you will understand that when you actually begin to feel forgiven. God wants you to feel forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. Notice Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What I came to do, I am not finished because I am coming back again from the dead. Jesus said, I have, oh, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to take it back up again. Who in the universe can say, even when I'm dead, I have authority to make my body come back to life? Only Jesus. As Peter says in Acts 2, God raised him up loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus down. Death never even had a shot. It was doomed from the beginning. Jesus destroyed death when he died. Death swallowed Jesus and then had to spit him back up again, just like in the Avengers. Love this movie. When Iron Man is facing this big giant alien, it's destroying the city. Iron Man looks over at Captain America, I think, and he says, have you ever heard of the story of Jonah? And he's like, oh boy. And Iron Man takes off. He flies into the alien. The alien swallows him. And everyone's like, oh no, what was happening? And then all of a sudden, Iron Man explodes the whole alien. They stole that from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards says that when death swallowed Jesus up, Jesus went into the bowels of death and he exploded death from the inside. When death swallowed Jesus, it spit him back up again and it's been sick ever since. That was death's death. Jesus is cancer's cancer. 
Jesus is the doomsday device to death, and he set it off 2,000 years ago, and he's been alive ever since. So I think it worked. And if you believe in Jesus, you have faith in him, you too were made alive. You too have been raised with him. You have been seated with him, and you are a co-heir of all that is his. And if not, that hasn't happened to you, you can be made alive today. Because his mercy hasn't changed. His grace hasn't changed. His love hasn't changed. The love that he has is still poised, aimed right at you, if you will receive it. God's mercy is oxygen for sinners. Makes us alive. You can have a new beginning. You can have a new life rooted in the love of God. Fortified with the life of Jesus. Easter isn't just a message about a fresh start. About since Jesus rolled the stone, turn over your new leaf. That's not Christianity. Christianity is he was dead. You were dead. He's alive. You can be alive too. Conquering sin, Satan, and death. This is what Jesus does for us. And in Christ, in Christ, there is a super abounding stash of mercy and love towards us in Christ. Look at verse seven. So that in the coming ages, here's what God's after too. It's that in eternity, Easter is preparing us what to enjoy in eternity. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we have a God who is rich in mercy and a God who wants to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. How do you know something's immeasurable? You measure it and you find out, I can't measure this. It's immeasurable. It's too big. It's too high. It's too wide. It's too deep. It's too lofty. Paul's saying, I don't have, we don't have the tools to categorize all of God's grace. We don't have the vocabulary to just fully grasp how amazing his grace is. This is why in the coming ages, for all of eternity, he is going to be showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the God. I love that it says, he can show us the riches of his grace. And this next phrase, in kindness. Oh, that the Bible Belt would hear that there is a God who is rich in kindness. Maybe you don't know a God that's like that. This is the God, the only true God. He's rich in mercy, rich in grace, and he is filled with kindness towards us sinners. This is the God that's ready to receive you if you'll receive his gift. Real Christianity, the bloody cross, the vacancy sign that still sits on that empty garden tomb. This is the sonic boom of God's kindness and love towards us in Christ. And God wants to keep showing it to us. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to taste and see that God is good, that there is a kind God for us undeserving sinners. Christianity isn't for the entitled. It's for the brokenhearted. It's for the crushed in spirit. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is a gift of grace. You're saved by grace alone. Look at verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is kind of a summary statement to all that we've read so far. And Paul says, you're saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. God just did it. And I love what Puritan Thomas Goodwin says about this passage. He says that he loved us and made us alive. So when he says that he loved us, it doesn't say he loved ours, that he loved our faith, so he made us alive, that he loved our prayers, so he made us alive. So he loved our trying to get our life together. So no, no, it's just even while we were dead, he made us alive. 
There was nothing in you or in me that incited God's love. It was just God being God. This is the heart of God. And what should we expect from a God who's rich in mercy and grace? We get saved. He saves us. And how great it is to be saved, but saved from what? Sometimes we can just use Christian terms. Yeah, I'm saved. Well, what do you say from? Everything in verses one to three is what we're saved from. We're saved from being spiritually dead. We're saved from our sins. We're saved from the sinful ways of the world. We're saved from the satanic powers. We're saved from sinful ways of thinking. And we're saved from the wrath of God. And now we are plunged into the deep mercy of God. Saved to God. Saved to being made alive with Christ. Saved to being raised in newness of life with Christ. And saved to enjoy the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, you have been saved. You. This whole time he's been saying, we were dead. He's saying he made us alive. He raised us. He seated us. And now it's like God is tenderly taking a moment and saying, I've been speaking to all of you, but now it's like God looks directly at our hearts. He looks directly at us. He says, you were saved by grace through faith. You. This whole time, Paul's been saying, we, 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 but now you. Christian, you have been saved by grace through faith. It's done. It's finished. Now, have you been saved by grace through faith? You're doing Christian things, maybe. You're at church. You're here. But now, just, just go ahead and go the whole distance. Have I really been saved by grace through faith? Or am I trying to smuggle in my way? Am I trying to be a stowaway and just kind of bring in my own righteousness? No. Have you been saved by grace through faith? And it's just a wonder to read that and go, you, like me, <laughs> me for reals, you can be saved. No works, though. No bargaining. God says, you leave all that. Just drop it all. What we bring to salvation is sin. Martin Luther was asked, what did you bring to salvation, Luther? And he said, I brought my sin and resistance. And God brought his grace. That's all we bring. So if verses one to three is who Christianity is for, the bar is not set very high. It's actually set incredibly low. If you are willing to receive it by grace through faith. Faith is the channel. If you were to boil Christianity down to pictures and clip art, you wouldn't find a ladder. You'd find a cross and an empty tomb. Faith is total reliance and trust on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It's a cosmic trust fall into who Christ is. Like Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not was, is Lord, that's who he is. And believe in your heart, that's faith, that God raised him from the dead. What he has done, you will be saved. This is Christianity. And Paul continues in Ephesians 2, this is not your own doing. It's not of works. God, it's crimson blood clear here. It's nothing we can do, just Jesus. Nothing we can do, nothing we can say, nothing we can achieve, just Jesus. And I feel like I have to say this over and over again in the Bible Belt because I know you hear me and everyone thinks, yeah, I know, but, yeah, I know, but, no, there's, but God. Not but God and you. Just but God. Being a good person doesn't save. Only faith in Jesus saves. Trying to please God doesn't save. Only faith in Jesus saves. 
So have you been saved by grace through faith? If not, why not believe today? Why not repent and believe today? What's keeping you? God's welcoming you. God's inviting you. If Jesus is alive, why not follow him with all that you are? If Jesus is alive, why not trust him with all that you are? If Jesus is alive, why not love him with all that you are? If Jesus is alive, why not receive his gift of salvation by grace through faith, just with the empty hands of faith? That no one may boast, Paul finishes. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That means all glory goes to Christ. All praise goes to him. All praise goes to Jesus. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, down, down, down with everything else and up, up, up with Christ. It's all about Jesus. And a church and a people that have been thoroughly Eastered boast about one thing, the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, but far be it for me to boast, except except in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we boast in Christ. This is what Christianity is. It's the complete unselfing and the complete exaltation of Christ, complete crucifixion of self and complete resurrection into new life with Christ. So let Easter keep invading your life. Let Easter go to the edges of your life, not just today, but to the complete perimeter, complete circumference of everything that you are. Let Easter continue. And let's eat, drink, and be merry. For yesterday, he was dead. But today, he is alive. He is alive. Why not? Why not boast in him? As we close today, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to one final pace, one final passage in the pages of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. And as the band comes up, we'll read this passage together. So let's stand together and read beginning at the end of Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57. What we see is that Jesus has died. Jesus died on the cross, paying for sins. And beginning in verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. And he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And on Saturday, the next day, verse 62, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that this imposter said, while he was still alive, that after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and, and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it secure as you can. That might be the funniest verse in the Bible. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. There's nothing that will stop what's about to happen. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, 
There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, the only dead men around. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Church, Jesus bids you greetings. And let's worship him together. Let's worship King Jesus.